My name is Brody Vincent. I'm the host of Profession Session, the podcast where young entrepreneurs, business owners, and professionals come to tell their success stories and the things that they've done to make them exceptionally successful at a very young age. I started this podcast pretty recently and I'm about seven or eight interviews in now. I had an idea that I wanted to just do a video breaking down the, the lessons, the takeaways, and the different pieces of value that I extracted from the first five interviews that I did because I realized that I was thinking a lot about some of these things and even way after I did the interviews. So I wanted to make this video just breaking that all down to expand on some of those topics, use some examples of how those relate to life and just give my two cents on the way I see those affecting my thoughts and the way that I think about life now. The first person that I interviewed and my friend Devin Robert, so I interviewed him on the psychology behind sales and the things that make someone either buy or not buy whatever you're selling. He really got very deep on the psychology of what makes someone buy. One of the biggest things that I took away from talking to him boils down to to have success in selling whatever it is you're selling. You kind of have to tie in three different confidences that you communicate well to the person you're selling to in order to communicate the ultimate value of what it is that you're selling. You as a person, the company that you're selling through or that you're representing, the product itself, those three together in combination are ultimately going to represent whether someone actually finds value in what you're selling. You need to be able to communicate to whoever you're selling to that you are someone they would actually like to buy from. You need to be forthcoming with information, transparent, and really have a high level of integrity in whatever you're doing and whatever you're talking about. Ultimately, that's going to really determine whether they feel like you're someone they actually want to buy from. You need to be able to communicate clearly the core values behind your company and why the person should be buying from that company. I thought that was really valuable. The third thing, this is probably the most important one, the actual product that you're selling. You have to be selling a valuable product to be able to actually communicate value, right? If your product is not good, you're going to have a tough time selling it. And this has less to do with the actual value of the product and actually more to do with your own belief in the product. The second takeaway that I had from all of this and the reason why I believe that the product aspect of all of this and communicating the value to someone is the biggest, most important piece. It seems like one of, if not the biggest determinants in success in sales is just your actual conviction and belief in what you're selling. If you are not selling something valuable, if you're selling something that you don't believe in, people really are able to sniff that out easily and they're not going to see the value if you don't believe in what you're selling. What it made me realize is that if you are in sales or sales is tying into what you do, you really need to think critically about what is it that I'm selling? What is it that I'm working with? What is my product? Is it something that I believe in deeply? If it's not, you might want to think about finding something else to sell. If you don't really believe in what it is you're selling, that's going to be very obvious and very apparent to people. And people are not going to want to buy it because you don't have conviction in it. Trying to build your conviction and fake your conviction in it, not going to be very effective. I think a better, more effective strategy is just to find something that you really genuinely do believe in. I think this is really going to create a positive feedback loop in you and doing what you're doing too. Because if you believe in something and it excites you, it's going to energize you 
that energy is going to come across to whoever you're selling to, whoever you're talking to, whoever you're working with. That's the kind of thing that actually creates the, the value that people perceive in the product. If they can tell that this thing is exciting the hell out of you and really, really gets you going, they're going to want to buy it and they're going to want to have it too because it clearly is having some effect on you. If you are working in something and it's not driving you, it's not exciting to you, you might be working in the wrong thing and it might be time to take a look at that and and just examine what it is you're doing. It really made you think about taking a, a personal self-inventory about what it is you're doing and whether you really believe in it. So the second interview I did was with Mindy Herrick. She plays college golf for the University of North Florida. And so we talked a lot about her experience with the recruitment process behind it, what that looked like, and then just a lot of extracurricular stuff that she's done. The first big takeaway I got from this interview had to do with the way that she went about her recruiting process. Right before recruitment started, she had moved from a different state so she was in this situation where, you know, she's in Florida, she's in a new state, people don't know her. She doesn't have that community that's seen her play from a young age. She has to kind of find creative ways to show her value and show her skill in the game. The way that she went about it was really interesting. She really felt like she had to set herself apart from the competition because she didn't have that community base behind her built from a young age. So what she ended up doing is she put together a video highlight reel, kind of a video resume, just showing kind of a montage of her playing in different tournaments, successes, her, her skill set, and a lot of the accolades that she had built up just to really be able to represent that. And then she actually sent that out to dozens of schools in the surrounding area that she was interested in. She got a lot of feedback from different schools where they said, that really sets you apart from the competition. She made this entertaining video highlight reel that got to show off a little bit of her personality and just show what she was doing at a deeper level. And what this really made me think about is if you are really setting your standards high for something, going after something new, and the competition is high for it, you have to stand out. You have to set yourself apart, and you have to figure out creative ways to do this. I, I really started thinking about this because if I am trying to do something new and, and I'm trying to break into an area where I want to stand out for my competitors, I'm now thinking more about, okay, how can I do my best? How can I go above the level of competition? rather than just doing whatever the standard kind of procedure is for getting into that area. You gotta think, how can I set myself apart from the competition? And ultimately, the only way you can do that is by doing things that they are not doing. You know, you have to figure out what's gonna give you that edge. And so I thought that was a really interesting takeaway from there. She was able to get into a college where she had a really great and fulfilling golf career, a team that did really well, was winning tournaments and stuff, really a great career out of it because she was able to set herself apart from an early age and really caught the attention of the recruiters because of the creative ways that she found to stand apart. Another great takeaway that I got from my interview with Mindy, she had recently won the first tournament that was a solo win for her. This came towards the end of her college golf career, and she talked a lot about being super stressed going into tournaments and, and really having some challenges with 
the, with the mentality of the high level of competition going into a big tournament. Ultimately, the, the takeaway that she had to share that she gained as kind of a result of thinking critically about what it took for her to actually finally win a tournament was that she had some of her best performances when she was able to detach herself a little bit from the end result and just focus on, as cheesy as it may sound, just focus on enjoying herself and having a good time doing what it is she loved. In this particular tournament that she won, she thought back to the fact that she played a little bit more laid back and was just thinking about enjoying herself. This A big part of this was because this was coming on the end of her college career. So she really wanted to just have as good of a time as possible and enjoy herself. The takeaway here was that when she took a step back and just focused on the enjoyment of the game, she actually performed a lot better because the pressure of the end result of winning the tournament was less present in her mind. And she was just keeping to the basics and trying to do her best. I think that kind of transfers over to all areas of life too. I mean, this makes me think if you could find ways to just detach yourself from expectations of a certain result and focus on the actual process a little bit more, you might find some of your best performance. It's important to just focus on why you're doing something and not as much what you're doing. I think if you can focus deeply on that why and let that drive you, there's a lot of a lot of value in that. The third interview that I had was with my friend Steven who has his own contracting business, general contracting, all kinds of different projects. One big kind of takeaway that I got from him talking to him about his business was the value of knowing when you are not the best person for a particular task or job. The way we got there was he was talking about how when he was early on in the business, him and his partner would just say yes to any kind of project that someone wanted. You know, they were getting a lot of offers from clients and things were going well. They were just saying yes to everything because it was new business. And for a while that worked pretty well. But they started realizing as they got a little further along that there would be opportunities where they were really just out of their element. While they ultimately did accomplish the task and did get the job done, it probably wasn't done as quickly and as well as it could have been done by someone who's a little bit better at it. So he hit kind of this huge pivotal moment with the business where he started just shopping out jobs like that to other contractors and other skilled positions, just people that he knew that he knew would do a better job and really just deliver a better product. When you do something like that, Ultimately, you know, it shows that you're willing to kind of take away your ego a little bit and deliver the best product to someone, even if it means it's not you getting all the work. He still charges an admin fee for finding that person, so it's still benefiting the business monetarily. Not as much as if he were to complete the project himself, but ultimately that client is going to be a lot happier because he was able to deliver the project that much better. And I think there's a lot of value in just knowing when you are not the best person for the job and being willing to hand that off to someone who can come in and do a better job and deliver the, the result in a more expedient and more effective manner. What this reminded me to do is really just focus on what some of my core competencies are. So think critically about, you know, I, I'm the type of person who likes to try to do everything. If I can, I tend to be kind of a control freak sometimes. But the times that I have been able to step back and realize I'm not that good at that thing, actually. And 
maybe someone else can help me with it. There's a lot of value in that because if you seek the help and the counsel of someone who is a professional at something, it's going to get done better. The way that this transfers to business, the way that I think about it, as a business owner or a business operator, oftentimes you're wearing a lot of hats in the business and you're kind of doing everything, at least at the beginning. And this can work for a while, but ultimately what a business owner will discover is that they are best at a certain set of things. And usually whatever you're the best at, you're going to want to do the most too. You can't be everything to everyone that works in in your business as well. There are going to be things that fall through the cracks. So the way that I think this transfers to business is to use an example. You know, if you are the type of business owner that is just a fantastic operator, you're great with logistics, you're organized. Uh, and this is the kind of business owner I tend to be, is just really focused on the details, the nitty gritty, the operations, and thinking about the finances of it. If that's your strong suit, but you struggle to gain new business, to win new business, to bring new business in, you have to be honest about that. And for someone in that position, you might want to think about bringing in someone who really excels in sales or marketing and really knows how to get that new business and market and sell because that could be a gap in your business. And if you're able to fill that gap with someone who is better at you than those things, you've just expanded the capabilities of your business in that way. And you can just double down on your operational proficiencies and let the person who is great at winning new business win new business. And then all of a sudden, you're going to have new business coming in and you're going to be handling the operations, and then you've got something really worthwhile. Another takeaway from that is that if you are thinking about going into business, you really don't want to just be looking for someone with the same skill set as you. You want to be looking for someone with complementary skills to your own. In the example that I just described, you know, if you are that operator and you're thinking about getting a business partner for something, you want to be looking for someone to fill the skills where you have a lack. And you've got to just Take a deep self-inventory about that and say, what are the things that I'm lacking in and how might someone else be able to aid in that? And you should be looking for someone who's very proficient in the things that you lack in. Flip side of that, if you are just a fantastic salesman, but you tend to be a little disorganized, you want to be looking for someone, a partner or an employee or, or someone to help in your business that is super organized. If you are really not great at finances, and are kind of disorganized and you're just the salesman type, you probably need to bring on an accountant or something for your business or some kind of accounting service because ultimately, if you don't, things will probably fall through the cracks and you're going to have more headaches down the road if you don't bring someone in to help you with that. So I thought that was a really valuable takeaway. If you just think deeply about that, just knowing when to find someone to help you or complete the task better than you could yourself and being honest about that. Another big takeaway I got from talking to Steven is he reflected on a point in his business where he was doing a lot of just odd jobs for clients, you know, projects here and there. In doing that, he just had to come up with prices and rates at the moment. And it, it was, you know, a little more disorganized, wasn't really a focused thing. But what him and his partner ended up doing is shifting that contracting business into a what he called a monthly handyman 
Dan route and what I was thinking of as kind of a subscription service. What he would do is he would actually just have people go on a monthly plan where they're paying a certain amount per month in exchange for a certain amount of labor hours from his company. For example, maybe you pay a hundred bucks a month for two hours of work. So every month you've got the ability to have his company and help you with two hours of work. And he was doing a lot of stuff that was just routine monthly maintenance for people. And then you can always throw in extra projects here and there as you see fit. And what this made me think about, I happen to be in the service-based business as well. In my business, certainly in Steven's business, the way we talked about it, and many other service-based businesses, an observation I've made is that it's very easy to get caught up in customizing the job to a minute degree every time you take on a new project. Really, really customizing it a little too much almost. But an observation that I've made is the more that you can package that service into just a very simplified, routine, easy to understand way of doing things, clients really are able to wrap their heads around that a little bit more. And it's also easier to market your service. It's easier to talk about it, easier to sell it, and it just makes operations way easier on your end. It helps the client understand it, it helps you market the business, and it's just easier to manage when it's more packaged that way. So I think in the service-based business, a really viable model can be figuring out some kind of way to make it a subscription or a regular thing, or even just having set packages that you sell and having maybe a few different packages that you offer, just in the interest of simplifying things. If you go to the Cheesecake Factory, great restaurant, but their menu is a novel. It's got so many options. It's almost difficult to even decide on what you want. What I've found is that if I go to a restaurant that has a pretty simple one-page menu with just a few great options in each area, I almost prefer that as a consumer giving that business to the restaurant. I kind of prefer it to just be simplified and boiled down in that way because it's a lot easier to choose from. It's a lot easier to make your decision. I think by the same token, simplifying your services, packaging them, making them a subscription model, whatever that looks like for you, makes it a lot easier to scale your operations up too. The less time that you spend reinventing the wheel, so to speak, of every little thing that you do, the more you can start to automate your processes. And ultimately, clients respect you having a very set way that you do things if it's proven to work. That's something I've observed in the business I work in. I work in staffing. And we have kind of a set process that we use. We went back and forth on this a lot. You know, we went through a lot of periods of just really trying to cave to the specific situation, whatever it was, kind of reinvent our wheel of how we do things. Recently, we've gotten a little bit more decisive in just sticking to the things that have worked for us. Processes, different things that have led us to have the most success. That's allowed us to really just move at a quicker pace, take on more business, handle more business at once without getting bogged down. You're able to just automate processes in a way if you do certain things the same way all the time. That's not to say that you should get complacent and not try to grow and do things better. It's more about not getting bogged down in completely doing everything different every time you have a new project. I think it's important to figure out the things that really do work well in your business. Stand firm in the fact that that is the way that you do business when it matters. You know, pick your battle. 
bills. For certain things, obviously, you have to you have to make concessions. You might have to lower your prices a little bit to gain a, a client that you really want and that's a foot in the door for something. But by the same token, you shouldn't destroy your profit margins just to gain a new client. But what I'm talking about more is just having a set way that you do things that has been proven to be successful in the past and to work for other clients in the past. Being able to back it up, tell people why you do it that way, that's a very important aspect of it. You gotta be able to back it up, you gotta be able to communicate why you do it that way. If you're able to communicate why you do it that way and why it's worked in the past, your client is gonna understand that and that's gonna allow you to just operate more efficiently and scale more as a business. So that was a big takeaway I got from this. So the next interview that I did was my good friend and my business partner, Andy Varnes, and he has his own media company. We talked a lot about how he started and the seasons, if you want to call them that, that he's had along the course of building that business and scaling that business up. Really, it kind of broke down into three distinct seasons that he's had, and I wanted to talk about that because I got a lot of value out of what led him to make the changes from season to season. For context, he started really just as a photographer for the most part. Eventually, he ended up finding more of a passion for actual videography. What that looked like was doing full videos for clients in the various areas he was working in. So he made this big change from just photography to videography. That really just expanded the amount of people he was able to work with and the, the way that he was able to deliver his service. And so he was doing that for a while and eventually he leveled that up another time. Recently, he's gotten into content management. So what that looks like is he creates usually video content for clients and figures out creative ways to tell their stories and tell what they're doing. He even has gone so far as to help manage the distribution of that content for clients, putting out that content on YouTube, Instagram, uh, Facebook, other social medias. That has just leveled up the way that he's able to do business. He's able to secure bigger clients, really just help and service those clients to a much larger degree. The takeaway I got here was each time that he really looked deeply at his company, his business, and what he was doing and said, I need to level up another time. I need to improve the way I'm doing this and take it to another level. It's led to pretty major breakthroughs breakthroughs for him. And so I started thinking about that. And I think the big takeaway there for me, at least was to constantly grow in whatever it is you're doing, whether it be a business or your career. If you don't constantly find ways to level up and have those breakthroughs, you're going to hit plateaus in what you're doing. So you should always be taking a critical look at what it is you're doing and saying, even if this thing is working, could I be doing it better? Could I be improving this? Is there a deeper level that I could find in this that could just take me to that next level. You're not going to grow if you don't do that. So I thought that was a really valuable takeaway and it's it's worked really well for him. Made me think a lot about how I could be doing some things better in my own life and how I could grow and expand by finding a deeper skill level in something and trying to take myself to that next level. And I think by doing that, really having that critical look and trying to avoid 
avoid complacency in all areas of what you're doing is just going to lead you to constantly be growing as a person. The times that I have been able to do that with things in my life, I've found much more fulfillment and growth as a person in doing that than just remaining complacent. I found a lot of value in just thinking about that deeply and seeing a different example of how that's worked really well for someone else in their business and in their life. Another big takeaway in my talk with Andy was that he actually attributed a lot of the successes he's had to just straight up luck. On a surface level, you know, you can tell that he's a hard worker, really has a great work ethic. It might almost sound a little ridiculous when he says that he attributes it to luck, but I actually, when I thought a lot about that afterwards, I realized there's a lot in that mindset. And I think having that humility and being able to detach from your ego a little bit when you do find successes. I think that's really important because it's easy to get caught up in one little success or a couple big successes and allow that to to decrease from your drive that ultimately got you to have that success. So I think if you think about the humility that he has in what he does and and not attributing it to his work, but attributing it to luck, I think that's going to really ultimately just hold him to a constant higher standard and his work ethic is going to carry through in that because if he feels like he always has to work hard for those successes and he just got lucky, then he's going to have to keep working because that luck isn't always going to be there. And, you know, whether that's the case or not, I think there's a lot of value to having that mindset. Common thread that I noticed in my talk with Andy was that he seemed to be in the right place at the right time a lot over the course of his career, even just over the first couple years of it. And on a surface level, it, it might actually seem like he did have a lot. Of luck. But if you dig deeper into that, what was really behind that was just the fact that he was willing to put himself and his work and his service out there so much and so often that even though everything that he did and every little opportunity he was pursuing didn't pan out into some great success, he was able to understand that some of them would and that by just putting himself out there, he was going to make great and valuable connections and expand what he was doing. The biggest takeaway I got from that was be willing to constantly put yourself out there and try new things and those opportunities are going to be around because if you're in a lot of places sooner or later one of those is going to be the right place if you're in a lot of places at a lot of different times sooner or later one of those places is going to be the right place and it's going to be the right time and that huge success is going to come because you tried a lot of different things that was the big takeaway i got from that the the fifth interview I did was with my friend Amani Yusuf. She is 24 years old and has had just some crazy experiences in life already. She's accomplished really incredible things that most people don't accomplish at all in their life in just a few short years. This was a great end cap to my first five interviews. A lot to talk about on this one. One huge thing that I got out of this interview was a concept that we ended up calling mic drop moments. And what this meant was we talked about having ideas and what you should do when you do have ideas. We actually had differing perspectives on this. Her opinion was that if you have an idea, business idea, or just something that you're working on, she does not like to start talking about that to people until she's fully fleshed out the idea and has actually done something about it. When I first came into the interview, and we had even talked about this before outside of the interview, I differed in that perspective in that 
I do like to kind of put my ideas out there and try to get feedback. And my biggest kind of point behind that was if you do put it out there, you're going to kind of feel like you're on the hook to actually do it. Because if you don't, then you just look like you're all talk and no action. Her whole point was that you don't want to kind of get your high off of all the pats on the back that you get for just having a good idea. Because if you haven't actually done anything about it yet, you could potentially get complacent and just having all those pats on the back and not actually do anything about it. And I've thought a lot about this. Obviously, I came into it having kind of the opposite perspective of her. Having thought critically about this and looked back into it, I actually find myself a little bit more in the middle, I would say. And to expand on that, the way I kind of think about it now is if you have a really good idea, you could do one of two things. You could start telling people about it or you could keep it to yourself. I started thinking maybe there's kind of a middle ground to that. And the way I kind of find myself thinking about it now is that maybe you could tell a couple strategic people about your idea in order to help you get some solid feedback on it, but also not get that high of, oh, you already had the idea, so you've already done it. What I started thinking is, you know, we all have people in our circles that are kind of cheerleaders for us. And if you come to them with a with a great idea or a cool thought, they're always going to have your back and be excited for you because they're they're a big cheerleader for you. I think it's really important to have those people. I certainly have those people in my life and I get a lot of value out of talking to those people. But I think Amani has a great point in that if you do talk about ideas specifically to those people before you've actually done anything about it, getting that immediate pat on the back for not doing anything can just give you that high allow you to not really want to follow through with the idea because you already feel like you've done something and gotten something done. My kind of happy medium that I find myself standing in on this particular thing is I think there's a lot of value in actually strategically seeking out the people who are not going to just jump to being that cheerleader right away and telling those people first, maybe even telling those people once you've done a couple things about the idea and you have a couple things behind it because they are, they're not going to just give you a pat on the back for having the idea, but they're going to say, well, what about this? What about that? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? They might give you some really valuable feedback that you hadn't thought of yet just by virtue of being another creative brain on the topic. If they're not the type of person that's just going to give you that pat on the back for not doing anything. You're not going to get that high of just feeling like you already did something, but you might also get some great feedback. I think finding a couple strategic people to tell can have a lot of value when you have a new idea. But ultimately, I really did find myself agreeing more and more with Amani in that you shouldn't just tell everyone about your idea if you haven't done it yet because it's probably going to more times than not end up leading to you not taking that all the way through and flushing it all the way out. Kind of have an adverse effect if you do that. Really, really thought a lot about that one. Um, probably the thing I've thought about the most from those first five interviews and actually ended up kind of shifting my perspective in a way. Another massive takeaway that I got from the interview with Amani is this concept of ex- 
acceptance in the moment when you're going through a difficult situation. The big takeaway I got here was if you have difficult circumstances that you come across in life, you can do one or two things about it. You can either really lament in the difficulty of the circumstances that you have, or you can take a step back and just kind of accept that that is your situation. Of course, there are some things that you can control, but you can't control everything. And if you take a step back and you decide, okay, I'm going to focus on the things that I can control and not the things that I can't, that can bring you a lot of value because it allows you to start strategically thinking about how you can move forward and be successful despite your circumstances rather than just getting caught up in the difficulty of the circumstances and spinning your wheels and not getting anywhere. I got a ton of value out of that. I think that transfers over to all areas of life. The more that you can do that, the more effective you can be in all areas when those difficult circumstances do come. And they do come no matter who you are or what you're doing. Another huge thing for my talk with Amani is this idea of seeking out people who have been successful before in an area that you're pursuing. So what this looked like for her was when she was starting her first business, she'd never done it before, really didn't know all the ins and outs of the different things that she had to do. So what she did is she just started finding small business owners wherever she could and just asking them any questions she could think of, asking them how to get started, how to find the things she needed to find, how to do the things she needed to do. She was able to be very successful in her business because of her just relentless pursuit of this information. The big takeaway that I got here was that this applies to really any new endeavor that you're doing or any current endeavor that you want to improve at is just this idea that there's someone out there who has done it before or done something similar to it before. And people like to talk about themselves. People like to talk about their successes. So if you can find those people and really just be relentless in your pursuit of the information, do it nicely, but be willing to ask those questions and get in the trenches and find out that information. That information is much more accessible than you might think and can bring you a lot of value. And if you can hear about the things that people actually did to be successful and also maybe ask deeper questions and figure out you know, the mistakes that they made and the challenges that they had on their way to being successful. You can eliminate some of those mistakes and hurdles from your own journey and just you know kind of take a fast pass to success and what you're trying to do based on the work that's been done before. And so I thought that was really valuable and interesting. So those have been a few of the big takeaways I've had from my first five interviews. Planning on doing this every time I hit five interviews just as kind of a breakdown of the big lessons I've learned. So stay tuned for more to come. I'm already about halfway through my second set of five. Uh, interview eight coming out soon or maybe maybe already did depending on when I put out this video. So check out Profession Session on YouTube, LinkedIn, TikTok, and Instagram for more of these interviews that I'm talking about. You can find the full versions on YouTube and then smaller portions of them on the other platforms. There's a lot of information I didn't even get to touch on that was really really great in a lot of these interviews. Until next time, thank you so much for watching. Don't forget to like and subscribe. This has been a breakdown of my first five interviews. And until next time, stay tuned and see you then. Thanks for watching Profession Session. I'm your host, Brody Vincent. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, or TikTok at Profession Session on all channels. You can also find my guest from this episode at the tag and details of this post. Stay tuned for new episodes and short little clips of deep dives and 
into specific topics across all of our channels. If you know a young standout professional business owner or entrepreneur with a unique or interesting story, DM us anywhere and let us know and they may be the next to tell it here on Profession Session. Until next time, stay focused, stay hustling, and stay networking. This has been Profession Session.